There it is. All right. That's perfect. Every week, that should be the intro now, just people like randomly singing this song. Welcome, I'm Pastor Scott. It's been a while. It's been a while. This is the longest I've had off from preaching in about 10 years, and so I'm a little rusty. I'm going to get back to this a little bit, but welcome to E3 if you're new. I'd love to connect with you after the service. We're in a sermon series called More and More. Thanks to Pastor Mike for two weeks of solid, awesome preaching, and then Sam, not only last week, it was awesome these last three weeks. Um, I have a really easy job now, just edging us into chapter two, but before we do this, I want to connect a little bit and get our mindset wrapped around Philippians. So the question on the screen is this, what is either full or empty in your life right now? And this is for our online folks too, so either full or empty. Examples could be gas tanks if you want to be practical. Can I get an amen? $75 to fill up the gas tank. My, yes. Or, or you could do something a little more abstract like my heart. So find someone you've not met before, welcome them to Element 3 Church, and share in this question for the next 37 seconds. Ready, set, online, type, go. Where's your siblings at? Well, that's a convenient time. Well, I thought so, maybe. All right, we're going to continue on with a little example for everyone. Everyone say good morning. Yes, absolutely. Unsuspecting victim. Her sister ducked out to the bathroom right before I was going to grab her up too. So this is a solo interactive experience. So talking about more and more, I have three cups here. This one obviously is empty, okay? There's no liquid in it. This one is 10 ounces, this one is absolutely full to the brim, and this is 12 ounces. I'm sorry, this is 10 ounces too, okay? 10 ounces of water. I measured these out carefully with a microscope, okay? And then this one, which is 12 ounces, also has 10 ounces of water. This is 12 ounces full, though. Here's, I am losing some, okay? We're going to baptize the stage this morning. Here's, here's a challenge, and I want you to ask for help from the congregation since your sister just left you alone and went to the bathroom. This is not pre-planned. She's back? No. Okay, she's not coming out. She heard us. She heard us. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make all three of these cups exactly equal with only the things you can use on the stage, not my sermon notes, please. Help from the audience. 10, 10, and 12. 10 ounces. That one's losing an ounce right there. You're, on, you're close with the answer there, Mike, Pastor Mike. Ten ounces in both cups. You're overthinking it. All right, so for the sake of the example, though, she figured it out. Round of applause. And you get a coffee cup for helping out. Round of applause. We won't make her drink 14 ounces of water. I'm sorry to hear that you're sick. God bless you, child. Maybe, maybe, yes, it's because of my daughter. Good. The trick of it up in the numbers, how much to take out, how much to fill up, you just empty them all out. Just empty them all. Sometimes the easiest answer is just to let, let go and, and empty everything out. And that's what we're going to be entering into as we get into Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. 
as a recap, chapter one is really setting the stage for the entire letter to the church in Philippi. Paul's in change in Rome, writing to the church that was planted in the book of Acts. Paul's writing to the Philippians, a church founded in 50 AD, 50 AD, during his second missionary journey. Philippi was the first European city in which Paul preached. Secondly, Luke stayed there after Paul likely started the church, the gospel of the third gospel. And Philippi was a major Roman city, having been given the title equal to the cities of Rome, even though it was a Greek city. It was along several important trade routes and a great economy and, guys, one of the most diverse cultures in ancient Rome. So with that in mind, let's open up to chapter 2, starting at verse 1, and see what Paul writes here after setting the stage in chapter 1 with greetings and understanding how to deal with suffering that he was particularly taking part in. Starting at verse 1. Therefore... Again, this wraps up the entirety of chapter one. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but instead to your interests of others. Throughout verse 1 there, there's a number of if statements. And as an ex-computer programmer, I was awful, by the way, but I did the Y2K conversions. All I did was look at miles and miles of code and look for why, why. And I went in and added why, why. Easiest job ever. Very mindless. As a computer programmer, though, there's lots of if statements. And if is a kind of language we call Boolean, where it says, if you do this, if the person presses space bar, then computer shoot the laser at the alien. That's my kind of computer programming, right? <laughs> Video games. If then statements. Paul over and over and over there in verse one. Keep it verse one back up there. He says, if you have any encouragement, if any come from his love, if any common sharing of the spirit. We see that this if sets the stage for these, these Philippians now to hear the letter change its course very markedly. And then we get to verse two which is totally cause and effect. He stresses unity, but focuses on two items that are hindering the Philippian church. Being like-minded means literally thinking about the same thing, which is obviously the right thing. We should be all be thinking the same thing if we're united in Christ. But having the same spirit and mind shows a complete unity. We don't speak this way in America in 2022. We need to have the same kind of spirit. We, we always talk about being like-minded, but the same spirit means something deeper, something more intimate, spiritual. They needed to think alike, but also have the same spirit among this Philippine church. And then verse 3 and 4 shows the way in which you find that unity, and that's through humility. To reiterate the question we just spoke to one another about. Here Paul changes the trajectory of the chapter and the entire letter of Philippians. I'm going to read this next section twice, verses 5 through 7, because this is some of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. And they're ones that you can have an entire sermon series just about these three verses. Because he's trying to illustrate to these Philippians what humility is. What being united in the same spirit of Jesus Christ is. And so I'm going to say these twice. The first time, I don't want you to put this, the letters, the words on the screen, okay? Just listen to these, and then we'll do it a second time, and you can read along. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself, what is it, church? By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. What this is, is called kenosis. Kenosis. Everybody say kenosis. Kenosis is taking the cup that she had to deal with and just dumping it all out, even though you have something, giving it all up, giving it all away is actually a benefit because it leaves room for something new, for something dynamic, for something changed. Jesus does this in his very incarnation. We all celebrate Christmas, right? We have a joyous time, we give the gifts. But the Christmas moment is not necessarily about Jesus being a baby. It is about God becoming man. It is about the creator of all things needing a diaper change. Don't think that Jesus came out and could change his own diapers, friends. It is about God who spoke into existence everything in our universe and the multiverse and all the multiverses you can even imagine, all the Spider-Mans. This same God could only cry infant cries because I guarantee not every night for Mary and Joseph was a silent night. There were a few nights of just wailing and screaming when Jesus had to teethe, when Jesus got his first pimple, when Jesus had a bad hair day. I mean, the guy probably looked a lot more like one of us based on scripture than on some Pantene Pro V commercial guy who we see on the side of church buildings. We see that Jesus becomes man by putting on flesh. And many of us think about it then the way we see it on the screen right now. Put up the image real quick. That Jesus somehow is humanity and God. And these two circles are separate from one another. And then there's this thing called the Venn diagram. And I don't understand it, but somebody does. And they overlap. And so Jesus is somehow in the middle. And he brings both the human and the divine. But this isn't right. This is a big X over this. This is a horrible image in the way I think about Jesus because Jesus somehow takes on both all of God and all of man. And so the two circles are on top of one another and no one can take the time to make that look pretty. Just imagine it. That Jesus Christ is both fully God and fully man and gives up and puts on both at the same time by this word kenosis, which means emptying. Verse seven, it says, because he emptied means a verb in Greek called enkenosin, which means the word kenosis. And theories probing the nature of Christ emptying himself. We can't understand it. None of us here are God. If you believe that, we'll talk after the service. I'll set you straight. But all of us are allowed to put in ourselves when he emptied ourselves out more in that moment. See, the one who is existing in the form of God took on the form of a servant. It doesn't mean emptying necessarily, but it means room for the addition. See, the infinite God could not understand what infinite means unless the infinite was finite. I'm giving you a second to contemplate that. The infinite God, who knows nothing about the human condition, could not 
save us from what God did not understand God's self. So God became man. God understands those moments where you're hungry. God understands those moments where you're lonely. God understands those moments where your heart is completely empty. And God understands, to some level, your empty gas tank that takes $75 to fill up. Not being cute. It's that God because God became man. As illustrated here in Philippians 2. It doesn't mean that God's self, but man of existence equal to God, he did not lay down his divine attributes because that's how Jesus did all the miracles he did. None of us can walk on water or heal the deaf. None of us can rise from the dead. That's God's self coming in Jesus. And I don't know where Jesus is Jesus and man, and Jesus is God, the God-man, but they both come out at different times throughout his life. We can see that through all four Gospels. The point of this is, is that if we would, and if you would have, drank all that water, by emptying out yourself, you're allowed to fill something new in this cup. And yes, the the image is a little elementary. But we can't understand who Jesus is if we don't understand the very basics of who what he was. When we empty ourselves, if we're the glass, we allow Jesus then to come into our lives. When we invite Christ to come into us, we can never have him leave us. To apply this passage correctly in our lives, we must adopt the concept of kenosis when calling ourselves a Christian. So my question is, what does kenosis look like? What does emptying ourselves look like? It's a concept, unfortunately, we don't see very often in our modern culture. For example, how many ads do you see that ask you to give up or not buy a product? Don't come to McDonald's. Eat a bologna sandwich instead. That's not how their ads go. Don't come to Starbucks. Make homebrew instead. Sorry about the coffee this morning, by the way. This idea, this concept of not indulging, not taking, not having is so foreign that we have to understand what kenosis in our lives and a general average ordinary life looks like. And friends, it's giving of ourselves. It's serving. How many of us, when we do a quick mental calculation of some benefit for serving, for example, if I serve the five times in the soup kitchen this month, I can get blank. None of us. Now, you may get some credit. You may have a filling up by serving at a soup kitchen. How many of you, when you have someone you deeply care for, do you do the calculation of how you'll get repaid back? For many of us, it's just an automatic give to the person that we know needs in our sphere of influence. And if it is a calculation, you have to consider the person you're giving to, do you actually really do care for them? This week, we had blessed us with an opportunity to go to South Carolina. And so my family went, and we had a wonderful time just being in South Carolina with my extended family, able to do a lot of fun stuff, and realized that our dog, who I love most of the time sometimes, 1% of the time, our dog needed to be picked up from the kennel. 
And so we sat there and said, we don't know anyone who would be able to do this. And so I texted Julie and Jay, and they're wonderful people in our growth group. And they went and not only got Ariel, but they went in her backyard and put water out for her and got her all set up. So when we were coming home, we were able to pick her up from the yard, and she was good as new. Probably better than if I would have picked her up. So thankful for this act of service. But that's not the type of kenosis that we're talking about. That's not the type of self-sacrificial giving that Jesus Christ does, though it does absolutely count. And thank you, by the way, Julian Jay. What I'm more looking at is a story of day by day giving up of myself for the benefit of someone else. Does anybody know what that looks like? Yeah. You're, you're in a family and for the most part, and I know that there is a subset of us in our families where that doesn't happen, and I hear you, and I see you, and I love you. But for many of us, we understand the concept of what a family is supposed to do for one another. See, in 2014, we had two kids. We had a dog who was awesome, by the way. Bobby was the best dog. Ariel, right now, if you want a free dog after the service, talk to me. No, just kidding. Stay focused. Don't sell your dog. Five dollars. Okay. Here, in 2014, we had two kids. We had a house. I was a youth pastor. It was awesome. Everything was perfect. And then my wife came up to me and said, I think God's calling us to do foster care. And I said, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, clear out your ears. There's no way we're called to do foster care. I'll admit I was a little slow to the God-ordaining word of, on the Martin household party. And, and I thought with our Evelyn and James, oh, we were set, we were good. I was gonna start enjoying sleeping in again. I, I, I know that's a thing that people do. I've never done it in 10, 15 years now. But I know it's something that happens. And I said, no, there's no way. But God kept prompting her, kept pushing her, kept pushing the envelope until the point where I just said, okay, let's go down this road. And we went to our first class, and we went to a second class, and the 19th class, and we said, we'll take any age kid in a room of people who said, we only want infants. And guess what God brought us? A one-day-old infant. A chubby, chubby baby named Ezekiel. And instantly I said, wow. Okay. Kenosis. I'll give of myself and expect for nothing else in return. Nothing else. Because, God, you've told us this is what we're supposed to do. And then two years later, surprise, Ezekiel has a little sister. And by the way, you're gonna take care of her too. This is kenosis because it's not just a moment. It is a day in, day out, every single diaper, every time you need to feed them a meal. It is kenosis of giving yourself for the benefit of someone else who can give nothing else in return, although they're amazing huggers. We as Christians, and this isn't E3 church, this is the big C church, has succumbed to an average. Our pattern is no longer the sacrificial Christ. Christian research organizations like the Barna Group and Gallup, who survey how much and how often people serve, tend to have different ways to display that data, but Christians and non-Christians serve and give of themselves in a very similar manner. Do I adopt a kenosis way of life, of emptying myself for no other benefit but Jesus Christ? Do I empty myself to fill Christ in the margins, even though it's uncomfortable, that I have to give of my own self 
prescribed needs, wants, desires, even though I might not get anything in return. Even internally as a church to selflessly give in unity through our three-pronged vision of service, connecting, and worship, when we empty ourselves as E3ers, we serve out of a point of humility and not at a point of pride. Too often in the church, it's an attitude of someone else's job, that someone else can do it. Someone else should pick up the mantle and take care of this. I was, we were at a conference with this worship artist named Paul Baloche, and he was giving us these examples of how to lead worship exceptionally well. And I love the example he gave. He said, if someone comes up and wants to be part of the worship team on Sundays, I don't care how great a guitarist or singer they are, even though we have two awesome ones today, I want to know, will they walk across the campus and get me a bottle of water and bring it back because I'm thirsty? Because that kind of mentality in the church to be on a worship team is more exceptional and more awesome to connect with who God is than the most talented virtuoso. When we are emptied, something amazing occurs. Our entire outlook on life transform. And when we empty ourselves, we serve fully we become a light to our belief, and we can truly make a difference in others. And you know how I know this? Because it was true for Jesus Christ. In all my stories, in every story where I've seen Christ create transformation, it is because of this kenosis way of life. From a church plant in an urban U.S. city to a rural Ugandan village, seeing people give selflessly brings in Jesus Christ. When accolades are given, when credit is forwarded, if ABC 27 news story or the front page of the Democrat shows you, that's okay. It's more than okay. You don't have to throw away any sort of accolades, but you can give that recognition over to Christ, and it's fully his. In a day and age when our headlines are bombarded with selfishness, it'd be refreshing to see our government, sports, celebrities, and religious leaders practice kenosis. The worry is that we have too many selfish leaders out in our world today. When one leads selfishly, they will receive what they have sown. When one leads selflessly, they will receive a greater harvest due to the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Maybe not in this life, but in the life to come. When you give of yourself, it's a scary moment to realize that Christ and the object of our serving gets to choose how they need help. How unique was it that Christ came in and learned what life was like for us first rather than prescribing a solution and a time frame and a comfort level? Can you imagine going into the doctor and no matter what your symptoms are, he's like, here's an antibiotic. Some of us have doctors who may have done that. It's scary but a doctor who truly understands and understands the symptoms you have can then create a solution to the problems you may be experiencing. Jesus is the good doctor because he served and emptied himself for our benefit and put on flesh. So my question to you to consider is where do you need to empty yourself and have Christ fill you up? To use a sermon title, where do you need to empty and be filled more and more? Use this next song we're going to hear and hear the words and, and maybe sing along, but maybe don't. Maybe just stay in a time of prayer and consider where do I need to empty myself in my own 
desires and wants and needs and instead to have Christ come in. Your children, your job, a relationship, a friendship, an ideal. There's an extreme danger, specifically in the church, in the big C church, not just E3, where people drain Christ and fill up their selves, their egos and their ideas, and even great ones, in the space where only Jesus Christ belongs. We're still working on draining identities other than Jesus, not only from E3, but the entire church. And I believe the reconstruction and the work that's going on in individual denominations and across global Christianity is working on that right now. It's a spirit churning out egos and instead displaying the empty Lord. Because when he is empty, we are full. Kenosis-type leadership, selfless, is key to seeing the transformation not only of E3, but of the church in general. And kenosis is also essential in transforming your life, not to be a doormat, but to take on the same attitude of Jesus Christ.